Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant. With me, I got Dan Turner from Loudoun County Fire Rescue, and he's going to talk about a grab that was made on St. Patrick's Day uh, of 2022. So welcome, Dan. How you doing? Good, Chief. How are you? Good. Hey, so tell us about uh, a little bit about you and about your department. Yeah, so like like you said, my name is Dan Turner. I'm a firefighter for LCFR. Um, we uh, we have 21, 22 stations in about a 500 square mile county. Um, that's a suburb of of DC. Um, we uh, uh, are lucky to have very very good staffing, uh, and like I said, we're we're a suburb, mostly bedroom department of uh, of a lot of people that commute into DC and the in the surrounding area. What do you guys get on a regular alarm for a house fire? Uh, four engines, two trucks, a rescue squad, two chiefs, an EMS supervisor, a safety officer, and a transport unit, EMS transport unit. And all of them arrive pretty quickly from each other, or what's that time delay? Or it depends where yeah. you're at. It, I would say it depends where you're at. The eastern end of the county is pretty populated, and we're all pretty on top of each other. Very competitive um, you know, to get in there quickly, especially for, for the engine companies. Uh, I'm at the western end of the county where it's more rural, uh, more non-hydrogen areas. Um, it's a little bit of a uh, longer duration in order to get, get units there, obviously, because you know, of the rural setting. But um, but still really not far behind each other. What's your staffing like on the rigs? Our special services have four. Uh, our engine companies have three. Uh, There's some engines that are four now just due to either paramedic status on board or, uh, or, or advanced EMTs, but most units are still uh, three people on engine companies. And then uh, the magic question, what's the search culture like for you guys? Like who's getting the searches done on a, on a regular, uh, regular yeah. alarm? Yeah. So the first special service uh, on the box is assigned to, uh, to, do search. That's the barman and the officer are, are to go in and immediately link up with the engine company, get inside and, and get a search done as quickly as possible. Typically, the second special service will come through and either hit the floor above or do secondaries if all searches are done. Um, and the third special service might duck in there too, or they might kind of stage a little bit until uh, they're needed somewhere. So getting those searches done, what does that actually look like? Are you guys doing split search oriented, VES, all of the above? So we don't really VES often. Um, we do a lot of uh, split search for sure. Um, and then a lot of searching off the line. More like really the Western areas do a lot of searching off the line um, just because, you know, the first engine gets there, they start making their advance through the door. Once the uh, once the line is getting towards the fire, the officers put off a lot of times and search uh, search around the line going to the fire. If you had to describe what a split search is, can you do that for me? I don't mean yeah. to put you on so, the spot, but I'm gonna. No, no, you're good. So really, go in through the. Uh, we'll use the front door as an example. Go into the front door, and basically, uh, one person goes one way, the other goes the other, and we kind of meet in the middle. Uh, move on to the next area, or we could do parts of the house too. Like, hey, I'm going to make a beeline for the back of the house or back towards the fire if you want to search more towards the front of the house. Um, that's really what we do a lot. Um, you know, we might send someone to the second floor quick to go take a peek 
get a search done, check, you know, fire extension, things like that. Uh, but that's for the most part how we do search. And that seems like a pretty popular way that searches get done, although that's not how they're taught typically in fire school. Um, how far you get apart from your partners is that what's that depend on for you guys specifically? That's definitely going to depend on um, your, how comfortable you are with your, with your partner. I mean, if it's someone that I ride with a lot that I'm pretty familiar with, um, I'm willing to get, I mean, pretty far from them, like a floor apart from them. We are connected by radio still. Um, and if anything happens to me, I mean, obviously I'm my pass alarm and so do they. Um, so, you know, they know if they haven't heard from me in, in a minute or two, um, either heard me yell down the stairs or heard me or see me stick my head out the door. Um, you know, it might be time to check on me, but we can get pretty far apart. Um, you know, with most of our fires being, being residential fires with some of our buildings, um, uh, we have large uh, data centers that make search difficult. Um, you know, just a very large open space, um, so that's really, I, I, if you're, if it's someone that you're comfortable with, uh, we can get pretty decent, pretty decent far apart. But if it's someone you don't know well, yeah, you usually stick a little closer together. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I support that, that split search quite a bit. And I, how I usually do it is how comfortable I am with my crew, uh, what our training level is, and then how bad the fire is kind of depends how close or how far, but, uh, yeah, I love, I love that. So enough about that. Why don't you get in and tell us about that fire that you had on St. Patrick's day? Yeah, for sure. So on St. Patrick's day, um, I tried taking off work like every other good Irish Catholic and was denied. Um, I got detailed out of my firehouse. I'm an engine rescue driver. Um, I got detailed out of my firehouse for the shift, uh, um, to go cover someone else that would be able to get off work, um, to go drive an engine that cross staffs a rescue. Um, so I got there, settled in for the day. Um, everything was fine. We actually didn't run anything during the day, which is, I was pretty surprised. I thought we'd run an auto accident somewhere on the rescue, but we didn't run anything. I got a workout in, um, we ate dinner and after dinner, we we're cleaning up everything. Went out to the bay to get a mop and heard the NBC going off in, in the engine. So I was like, okay, I guess we got a call. Started walking forward, and that's when the alerting system went off in the firehouse for the structure fireman traveling. So everyone else came running out, hopped in the engine, took off. Uh, our CAD system got all messed up. It showed us, I think, like fourth two, when really it was our second due run area. It was, uh, it was a little messed up. But anyway, uh, we were going to be second due engine in this fire, um, and the dispatcher denoted that a uh, – Caller reported that her house was filling with smoke. She lived in a townhouse. She was trapped in her bedroom on the third floor. Um, automatically, I'm thinking on the way there, like being an engine driver right now really sucks. Um, uh, but one of the good things about our, our policies is that uh, if the first engine is able to secure their own water, the second en engine, including the driver, can abandon their rig. So the first engine marked on scene, uh, they had smoke showing. From the front door um and that they were going to be uh, that that they were going to have water we pull out of the block uh sorry the first two company has uh the battalion chief runs out of there as well as uh, a tower 
and an engine company, like I said. Um, all three of them pretty much spun onto the block at the same time with a middle unit townhouse with smoke showing. So the tower crew, uh, the OV, the bar, and the officer all immediately uh, made the front door and made the house. They reported a kitchen fire um, and that they had high heat and low visibility on the second floor. We spun out on the block as the engine driver was taking supply line back to the hydrant. We about 100 feet back beyond his tailboard. He started hooking up to the hydrant. Uh, when we pulled on, I threw my supply line out and I was like, hey man, do you want me to pump that or do you just want to direct connect? And he was like, ah, and I was like, you got to decide quick because I want to know, like, I'm trying to get my gear on and go do something. So how about you just, how about we just direct connect? And he was like, okay, sounds good. So I started getting dressed out, got dressed out and everything, um, grabbed my bar and ran to the front door, ran to catch up with my crew. I caught with my crew as they were getting a line. Uh, we were getting a second, trying to get the second line in service. Um, they were on the uh, the stoop. So that, like I said, a three-story townhouse. The first floor was a garage. Um, the stairway, the actual like main entryway, the front door of the house went up to the second floor where the living room and the kitchen was. The third floor is the bedrooms. So they were on the stairway to make entry into the living room area with their line. I stopped told the officer I was with them now and turned my cylinder on. As I'm cranking my cylinder on and starting to put my face piece on, the dad is out in the driveway. And uh, we have a, like I said, on the box, we get the EMS supervisor. The EMS supervisor is out in the driveway with the father uh, that was screaming that his son was still in the house. He was pointing at his phone saying he was just texting and he's in the house. He's in the house. Um, and that we need to go get him, which, you know, obviously we're trying. The garage door is open and the dad actually, as I was halfway through, put my face piece on, took off through the open garage door. So um, this is something I have had thrown at me at, at previous trainings, um, you know, to have the very upset occupant try to run back into the house. Um, with my face piece halfway on, I chased after him, grabbed him and pushed him out of the house. And that's when I tried to get information from him. So I was like, where is your son? Your son is definitely in the house. Yes, he's definitely in the house. Where is he? Did he say where he was? And his, the dad is telling me like he should be in his bedroom. It's behind the garage. I'm back here on the first floor. Uh, I kind of push him off on the EMS supervisor, who's a captain. And again, the EMS supervisor, the EMS supervisor was like, go. And I was like, you got it. So I finished getting dressed went in there. Um, and the first thing I thought when I went, entered the house was to call out. And uh, Grant, I remember a podcast that you did um, a couple months ago, but well, actually it's a couple years ago at this point, um, where the gentleman on the podcast said to call out. Like that was something that we forget in, in training, but uh, we don't call out anymore because it's kind of weird. But if these people have any way of communicating with you, they will. So I called out, like, where are you? Where are you? The basement was a little smoky, but it was only really dark because the kid, he was a teenage kid, he had all of his shades drawn and everything. That's the only reason why it was dark down there. Like, it really wasn't, it was barely an ideal age down there. I called out several times, searched the whole room probably three times and didn't find him. Um, and I was like, well, he's not, I, I can say with pretty extreme confidence that he's not down here. So I went back out the garage door, 
went and did a face to face with the captain and said like, Hey, he's not, he's not here. Uh, at least he's not on the first floor. About that time is when uh, the tower driver was screaming that he needed somebody wearing gear. So again, I look back at this EMS supervisor. Uh, he's kind of working as a command aide and he was like, go. And I was like, you got it. So I uh, jumped up on the turntable, climbed on the ladder and I passed the driver and the driver said, they got her right there at the window. They just need help getting her out. Um, he wasn't wearing any gear. I think he was kind of taking the feed there in the bucket. So I was like, all right, you got it. Jumped up in the bucket. They had the bottom, uh, they had the bottom pane broken out, but didn't have the top. So the first thing I did was uh, there's a, like a big headed ax laying in the bucket of the tower. So I just picked that up, finished mashing the window out and, and said like, where are you at? Cause I was looking in there and couldn't see. I was like, where, where are you guys at? Where are you guys at? And they're like, we right here. We're, we're right here. So right about that time, uh, in the bedroom next to the bedroom she was in, the tower officer breaks out that window. Um, I don't remember. I, I For the life of me, I cannot recollect at all what he said. Um, but he said something to the effect of, like, you have to come get me now. Something's wrong. So uh, it was something that made me go, like, oh, oh, I need to pick him up first. Like, he's he's really got something going on. Like, I need to get him. So with the driver now being down, putting his gear on, I jumped on the controls uh, and moved the tower over to the other window. And as I'm moving the tower over, the tower driver, or the tower officer is like unassing the window. Like he's climbing out. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm coming over. Just give me a second. I'm coming over. When I came over, I opened the man door to the bucket and then kind of like assisted him into the bucket. When he got in, um, he kind of collapsed down on his hands and knees. And I was like, hey, Lou, you good? You good? Like, I thought he just needed a breath for a second, and he just completely went out on his face. Like, he passed out in the bucket. So I was like, oh, shit. Like, this isn't good. Um, so I key up my radio to give an urgent transmission. I got a firefighter down in the bucket. And uh, I key up, give my urgent, and the dispatcher comes back and tells me that I'm on the wrong channel. Um, I thought, like, what really quickly ran through my mind was that I can use one hand to reach down and turn my radio knob to be on the right channel. Or I can just scream at people on the ground until someone figures out, you know, gets the message about what's going on. And I can use both hands to run the controls. So I start screaming at anybody that, that will look at me that I need help. I need help. I'm doing this. My, I have my face piece on, but I'm, but my regulators on, on clips. Like I think people are having a little bit of a hard time hearing me, but anybody that I see, I'm just screaming that I need help. Um, the writ engine, the fourth engine on the box, uh, which was engine eight, the officer of that very experienced officer saw me kind of realized what was going on. Uh, and called out the urgent transmission on the right channel. So I flew uh, the bucket down to them. They immediately opened the door and ripped him out. Um, like, I didn't even touch him. Like, they, I was able to fly the bucket down and fly it down negative, and they they ripped him out of the, out of the, out of the uh, bucket. 
I flew it back up to the window. Uh, once he was out, I went back, got to the window. Um, and at that point, I could see them. The smoke had lifted enough that I could see them. Uh, and they had her wrists right at the bottom of the windowsill. So I grabbed onto her wrists um, and I told the bar in the OV, I was like, I know you're tired. I am too. But three moves, we're going to have her out of here. We just got to bear down three times and that's it. Like three big moves and then we're done. So I so I counted down. I said one, two, three. They lifted her up, got her, got her, um, uh, got her like head and chest out out the window. She was, I mean, she was fourteen. She was pretty young, um, and wasn't uh, wasn't large. Um, so one, two, three again. We got her almost the whole way out, and the last one we got her all the way out of the bucket. The uh, the OV jumped in the bucket with me. Um, the bar started to come out the window, and I was like, hang on, we got to get her down first before we do anything else. Like, our priority needs to be getting her down to the ground and getting her to EMS. So you hang out here in the window, and we'll be back in a second. So I start flying the bucket down, and I still haven't had the opportunity to switch radio channels. So, again, I'm just screaming that we got her, and I need EMS. Right about that time is when the tower driver was finished getting dressed. He was back on the turntable. And as I was flying, he took over controls. Um, I looked down at her. Uh, she It didn't look like she was breathing. Uh, I kind of had a, like a fleeting thought of like throwing my mask on her since I still had a cylinder full of air. But uh, just thing like the logistics of that isn't really going to work out well. Like trying to like lean over, put a mask on her, stand up, run the control. It's not really going to go well. So we get her down, um, dump her off in the medic unit. Uh, once we dump her off, uh, we start flying back up to the window. And when we start flying up, that's when I'm able to get on the, on the right channel, on 6 Delta. Um, as we're uh, flying up, I'm thinking that the sun is still in the house. So I'm thinking I'm going to launch VES from the bucket of the tower to the third floor. Um, at that point, they had, an, they had another company inside doing searches. The fire was out, uh, was long out. A lot of the smoke had already lifted. Um, it turns out that the, so I, I asked battalion chief uh, if he was cool at VES from the, from the bucket of the tower. And he told me to hold off because he had a secondary crew inside. A secondary search crew inside. Um, uh, and that was pretty much the end of it. We hung out up there in the bucket for like, I don't know, about 10 minutes. And then at that point, we were like, all right, well, we're both pretty well spent. It was both me and the OB. Um, we were both spent, pretty much done. Um, the, uh, the person I was writing bar just went down the interior stairs, walked out the front door. Uh, we flew the bucket down, shook hands, and I went and rejoined my crew. Uh, and they, they went and rejoined theirs. Um, the officer uh, actually had an air emergency. He was discharged from the hospital that night. Uh, but he did get transported. Like I said, he had, a, he had an air emergency. He doesn't really remember a whole lot of the event. The uh, the girl was discharged from 
the girl was discharged from, uh, was transferred to, uh, was taken to the hospital and she was transferred to a children's center where she got discharged uh, a few days later. And that's the story. Very nice. Man, the crazy uh, to have be faced with that. You have a victim and you're about to make a rescue and then have the uh, the firefighter emergency. Um, that's not something yeah, that I think about. Yeah, that was not something that had crossed my mind. Like I said, I really don't remember what he said. But whatever he said, it made me click in my mind of like, man, I got to get him right now. Like, I need to, I need to get him. Um, like, I, yeah, like he's number one. Uh, for the life of me, I, I don't, I don't know what he said, but yeah. What, talk to me about how that window lift went and what you'd done in advance to maybe prepare for that or that helped you or that you would suggest to somebody now having been through that window rescue with the bucket, uh, how you, how you prepare better or the same for. So we're pretty fortunate. Like she was, like I said, I mean, she was, she was 14. Um, she was pretty skinny. So she wasn't particularly heavy. Um, they uh, they had her wrist. They like put her back against the at least from what I could see, put her back like against the wall, and put her wrists up. So when I grabbed her wrists, um, I think they like got under her butt and picked up, and then we just slid her out. I had the uh, the bay, the floor of the bucket level with the window, so that way we could just slide her directly out onto the uh, onto the bucket. I think we definitely would have had a much harder time. I mean, I mean, obviously, we would have had a much harder time if she was a more rotund person. Um, but just due to her size, it was, it was fairly easy to get her out. I think at that point, like myself and the rest of the tower crew was pretty well taxed. Um, which is why I said like, Hey, we just, we, we gotta do this three times. Like we gotta, if we really bear down and work together, um, we bear down three times, we're going to get this taken care of. Um, yeah, we, we just got our muster, muster our strength as far as pre-work for that. Like I, uh, um, the firehouse I used to live in, um, practices a lot. They have a whole truck Academy that they do. And there is a lot of, uh, bucket work that's involved in the, in the truck Academy. Um, that's a uh, progress fire company has a lot of, a lot of truck work that they do and a lot of practice for, you know, situations of this nature, but I really hadn't done a lot of it prior to that. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, I think we really got lucky again. Like I said, that she was a smaller, a smaller victim. And then uh, the other thing that stuck out to me, I know we've done it in some classes, but having the, uh, the crazy parrot that tries to run back in uh, talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So that was something I'd seen. I like to travel and go to conferences. And that was something I'd seen um, a few times. I think, uh, I want to say I went to the 350 line um, conference down in down in Richmond, and I took a class. I took a Brothers in Battles class, uh, or Brother in Battles class, as, as well as a Twisted Fire Industry class. And they did have someone that you know was yelling at you. That was um, panicked that their house was on fire, that their neighbor's house was on fire, and that was not something I'd really had a whole lot of before in in, in training. Um, and so it was helpful to have seen that before, you know, I, 
obviously the prior experience helps, right? But like, it was helpful to have seen that before um, so that when it did happen, I was able to react immediately. That was not something that we were, that's not really something that we train for here. Um, but I think it's something that we will likely do more of in the future. Um, yeah, just because that's the, that's the reality. Like when, it, when, 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 it, when it's really going down. And you had the awareness to not just like rip them out and toss them to the EMS, but had that, that what probably seemed like uh 10 second face to face just to get more information on where that kid might be. So that, that was pretty good. Yeah. And I wish I, I honestly, I wish I would have said like, how old is your son? And it's like, you know, I think we, in, in training, you know, you've heard like, well, what is your son? Your son's on a goldfish, right? Like, but you know, your human son, and then how old is your son? Just so I know, am I am I looking for a child, or am I looking for a four year old, or am I looking for a thirty year old? Um, you know, one of those is gonna be a lot easier to find than the other. But it would help kind of set the um, expectation, sort of. And that's something I wish that I would have asked while I was trying to gather information from him. Yeah, if it's a nine month old son, he's probably in the same place you left him but a 14 year old son is probably trying to find his own way out and won't be in that same room. So that's a good point. And, and yeah, for sure. I've never, and, a gold goldfish as a son. That, that's, that's funny. Yeah. And, and I figure like if he's, if he's able, like his dad has said he was just texting him. If he was able to text his dad, he's probably able to communicate where he is, which is another thought that I had, you know, like what I called out, I thought like, he obviously doesn't want to be here. Right. So like he, if he's got any way, um, yeah, you had Mr. McCormack on the show, and and yeah, if he's got any way to say where he is, um, he he's gonna say so. Like he doesn't want to be here. Nah, for sure. Um, anything else on this on this that you want to share, or that you had lessons learned, or that you're gonna do different post post this fire? Um, yeah, I think I I definitely learned a couple of things. Um, you know, I went to a, uh, that firehouse is, is a little bit of a slower firehouse than I, than I usually work in. And I kind of went there with that mentality as well. Of like, oh, this place is, you know, oh, we're you know, going to run a handful of calls. And it's going to be another 24-hour shift. And like mentally, I wasn't really prepared for that call. I'd gotten complacent. I mean, honestly, um, you know, like mentally, I wasn't super prepared for that. And driving there, I was like, oh, shit, it's happening. Um you know, I had I had talked to one of our uh, mutual friends, Barrett, earlier in the day that that morning. He didn't even know I was at work. Um, he he thought I was off. So, uh, you know, I mean, as far as other takeaways, like I think, um, you know, in the in the future, I'm going to make sure I'm on the right radio channel. Um, and really, other than that, I'm not. I'm not quite sure, honestly. I'm sure there's more. I just, uh, I just can't remember. <laughs> well, you probably already made the changes uh, since you know it was a little while ago. But well, cool. I love hearing uh, stories like this, obviously, because I do this podcast. But even more so, I like hearing it from people, uh, from friends of mine that I've gotten to spend time with, especially uh, you know someone like you in, into the job at a at a live-in fire department from my same hometown. We we did a night in Detroit together, uh, chasing fires and stuff. So it, it's cool, cool to see people uh, put in the work. Um, 
it's funny. I I've said this before. It's you never notice how many cars are on the road until you start, you either like buy a new car. My wife bought a Telluride and you know, I never noticed the Tellurides. <laughs> we get a Telluride and all of a sudden we're looking around like every car is a freaking Telluride. So when you start putting your mindset on making grabs and doing the right thing, uh, opportunities present themselves and uh, you are in the right place at the right time. And, and you've done, done the work on the front end to make a, a good outcome. So uh, I'm happy for you and thank you for sharing the story. I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate. You know, if I could say thanks quick, I'm really fortunate to be surrounded by people that uh, from day one, when I got into the fire service, really cared about doing a good job and um, made sure that um, that I was going to be, you know, you know, try to be the best that I could be. Um, and I and I try to pass it on. So I'm, I'm very fortunate um, to be surrounded by some really incredible people um, that really helped make this happen. Um, and are really responsible for it happening, honestly. So, yeah, I just want to say thanks to all them and thanks to everybody that pushed me along the way. And if people want to get a hold of you, uh, I know you do some um, teaching and training on the side too. What's the easiest way for them to do that? Um, they can uh, they can email me. Um, it's a pretty easy email. It's dturner, T-U-R-N-E-R, uh, at ifcwv.org. Um, I'm usually pretty responsive for the most part. Um, or they can hit me up on Facebook. I think I'm pretty easy to find there too. Uh, I also have Instagram, but I'm never on there, but yeah, they can hit me up. I'm willing to talk about pretty much anything. It's like fires. Cool. All right. Thanks, Dan. Um, if anybody listening out there has a grab assist, um, the C store alive. We want to hear about it. We want you to go to firefighter rescue survey, put that information in. Uh, that's how we get information on how to do our training best. Cause if we don't have that information, we're just making it up and that's not good enough. If you want to share your story, I love recording these things. Uh, thinking about it today, I know they just hit like that 3000 number for firefighter rescue survey. And this is going to be, this is episode like 99. Uh, I'd love to get more of these recorded and I'd like to at least be at 300 and try to keep pace at the 10% range of what the firefighter rescue survey is done doing. Um, Cause some people like to read stats. Some people like to hear stories. So we want something for everybody. If you want to record that, get a hold of me, Grant Schwalbe. My number is 239-898-0843 or Grant Schwalbe at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. I'm like, Dan, I'm not real good with Instagram. Uh, Justin McWilliams, he'll record these from time to time and Nick Ledeen as well. And you can find them on social media. So until next time, thanks for listening.